Hey, you're drinking house coffee, unfiltered conversations brewed at the intersection of real estate life and coffee shop service. We're Maggie and Rich, local business owners and friends sharing stories and welcoming you to pull up a chair with us. The door's always open. Let us pour you a cup. Well, we picked an interesting week to talk yeah. about business models. I, I know. For uh, people in real estate. Yeah. It is Wednesday. Yep. November 1st. Yeah. Happy November. Wow. You too. And uh, episode 28. 28. Because you know I got to keep track. I'm glad you do. So we, we, we'll, we'll touch on it today. But um, as of yesterday, <laughs> there was a verdict in a in a landmark lawsuit. Yes, regarding um, the National Association of Realtors. Correct. And NAR things relating to the real estate business model uh, at its core. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So yep. I'm not super equipped to talk about that. It just happened, so it's really I'm not fresh. Either. And so I know you're not super equipped to talk about that. We've got a couple of resources in front of us. Yep, that we'll touch on. That's not our main focus at all anyway. The reason it's relevant, funny enough, is because we were going to talk about, we are talking about business models today. And we'll be answering the question, or get, we'll be touching on the question, does my business model work? And that's kind of a question that all of us, I think, need to be answering if we're in business. Um, yeah. Does my business does- model work? Rich's business model work? Or are we asking a uniform question? Well, it's hopefully by the end of what we talk about today, you'll figure out how it's applicable to you or at least how to begin to answer that question for how does my business model work? It's not whether mine works. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it it does and it doesn't, right? And there's reasons for that that we'll, we'll touch on. But... I'm, I'm, you can kind of you can kind of ask this of your personal life too, though. Does my life model, work? <laughs> you know, because yeah. ultimately a business model is just a it's a collection of it's a system, right? It's a system of components that go together. So we'll talk about all that. Um, yeah, but first, what have you been listening to, Rich? Well, my one of my all time favorite bands from a long time ago. Can I guess? The band? I dare you to guess. Copeland. No, but I like Copeland. Um, Death Cab for Cutie. <laughs> also no, but I knew you'd guess that one. Um, you might not know this. It's a secret favorite. A secret favorite? Yeah. Um, hmm. Chevelle. No. <laughs> okay, that I'm done. <laughs> but that's a, that's a throwback. Thanks. Um, Blink-182. Oh, They yes. are back on the scene yes. after... Tom DeLong, the guitar player and um, higher pitched lead singer, has rejoined the band as of, I think, last year. Cool. And they were working on music, finally put out their new record. So just for nostalgia's sake uh, and to see what's going on in the minds of our favorite fully grown adult teenagers, I have been listening to that record. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's cool. It's good. It's all right. They're very much the same. There's some unsavory stuff that I I don't always like. Um, they make they have a lot of crude humor mm-hmm. and like things related to like just they're always joking about sexuality and stuff, mm-hmm. and that's just not my favorite. But they're a band that has always had just one of those really deep 
places in your heart. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> gotta gotta yep. keep up. Gotta keep up. Say it ain't so. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it is so. <laughs> it is so. But it's 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 an interesting record, not to give a review, but mm-hmm. um it's it's like really introspective, I think, in in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like not introspective in like the I'm writing a song. It's 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 mm-hmm. um, it's introspective as much as it's, in, it's an introspect into the band itself. The album is called One More Time, and this, there's a song on it called One More Time, and that was actually released before the album mm-hmm. came out as a single. And that song is it's literally telling the story of how they were. You know, the lyrics are like strangers into brothers, back into strangers, and. Uh, and then it's about how, like, you know, we don't have tomorrow. We don't know what's going to come. And so uh, they're kind of celebrating coming back together. And it's, but it's yeah. like a, it's got its signature blink sound all around. Um, I think this album leans heavily into their self titled style, which was their record from 2003. That was a departure from their like classic punk rock sound. This, it was a little more dark and uh, emo, if you will. And that, and really, really layered, like, comp, like good complexity in that album. That was probably my favorite, the 2003 self-titled album. So it leans, it draws on that as far as the style uh, and some of the, the tones, but it's also brings back around some of their like punk nostalgia stuff. Yeah, and it's interesting. Another little thought for you. This is this is these are deep cuts. <laughs> these are deep cuts. These are for the the um, pop punk fans in the room. Um, there's like been this new wave of pop punk that has come around in the wake of like Blink's heyday. So let's say the last 10 years, mm-hmm. there's been these new new bands out like Neck Deep and um, Knuckle Puck and bands like these who you can so tell the Blink influence, but it's it's like a more emotional kind of raw uh, s- lyricism that comes with it and it's interesting to hear blink swing back around and like sound like the newer wave hmm. of some of those bands on some of these songs it's like how would blink well i'm sure that they do this thing that they inspired they're right <laughs> you know wow what a weird yeah. full circle moment for right. blink to be making music that's influenced by bands that they influenced right isn't that something? Yes. Now, I can't, I, that's my take. I'm not sure yeah. how much, but I mean, a band like Blink is probably aware of, yeah. Like those guys love that style of music too. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they're aware of those other bands that have come around since mm-hmm. then, you know. Um, yeah. State Champs is another one that would fit that bill. They're actually from Albany, they're kind of a local, oh. local legends. Um, yeah. Others in that room. I don't, yeah. so I don't listen to that. That's not like my main style of music, but sometimes I like that energy and that emotional take on the stuff we go through. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they just, they like put a feeling out there that that's can be hard to express otherwise. Yeah. And stylistically, when I write music, it's been a long time, but I tend to gravitate toward that style of vocal like vocal styling and and even the guitar work that I do mm-hmm. kind of comes from that that realm. So that's what I've been nice. listening to. I gotta check that out. Yeah. The circumstances around the band kind of reforming were like just like basically health and life scares. Mm-hmm. You know, Travis oh, yeah. is the drummer, probably one of the best, if not the best drummer of all time. 
You heard it here first. I disagree. And, dude, name a better drummer. Dave Grohl. I mean, he's solid, but <laughs> can, can, look, I don't know, dude. <laughs> Who can do what Travis can do? I don't know. At his age. Although, Dave, they're probably about the same age. Um, fine. That's that's your hot take. You're, you're allowed <laughs> to have your opinions. It is an unfiltered <laughs> podcast. But anyway, Travis was in a plane accident. Um where other people died, but he survived. Mark had cancer. He's the bass player and the deep voice in the band. Um, he had cancer and seems to have recovered from that. Is he the one who sings, I miss you? Yeah, miss yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, through all that, they just kind of like got talking again and reconnected. And then who saw that coming? Not me. I'm not going to mm. lie. <laughs> they were very far removed from like when Tom left the band yeah. in 2015 or so. I really have not followed up. Like it's just it's because it's back around now. It's I'm I'm, mm -hmm. I'm listening in, but I'm not like a devotee to the degree I used to be at all, or or whatever, you know. And yeah. I'm already kind of like I've listened to the album. I'm probably getting over it. It's just is is the novelty of it. I cool. think for me. So yeah, that's that. Nice. How about you? Yeah. Um. So I haven't been listening to so much watching but re-watching a documentary on Netflix with the kid I have at home and it's called Beckham have you seen it a comfort rewatch if you will no just kidding it's not <laughs> oh yeah oh for me yeah no um, I have not I think I've heard of it I think I heard of it but it I is it. well first of all documentaries I I like are my love language. Yeah, you're a There's, former documentary I'm, filmmaker. Exactly. Like I could watch documentaries all day, every day. I actually also love documentaries. You do? Yeah, they're great. Um, and this documentary is about David Beckham and his like early, early years. And there's like footage of him playing soccer when he was like, or football, because you know, it's, it's football. Football. Um, yeah footballer that's what they call them mm -hmm. and it was just I listen to the BBC on NPR you do? after okay. midnight oh yeah <laughs> um which I am not a sports fan but I I am like a human interest fan and I was a big fan of the Spice Girls and I was actually Posh Spice in a dance when I was in fifth grade wow. so there's that um but that explains I, so much <laughs> so I I'm I'm interested in that world and um so and Victoria Beckham was also interviewed for this documentary and it was just a really interesting look at their life and David Beckham's influence because when he was a star you know I I wasn't old enough to like appreciate nor was I you know European to yeah. like be in in the midst of like knowing his success sure so it was just really interesting and um the kid we have at home has expressed interest in playing soccer and so I thought it would be interesting to watch this and yeah. show that side of the game and it's been it's been really cool because I've already seen it, right? And watching it at home again with this kid has been really interesting. So, 
that's what I've been listening to. Nice. Yeah, it's always it's always interesting to see behind the scenes of of someone who's been influential. Yes. I don't even care if I am related to that industry at all or that activity, you know. Mm-hmm. To see the story behind a name you know, there's always something to glean mm-hmm. from that. I was listening to the Guy Raz, How I Built This, okay. NPR podcast. I was listening to an episode yesterday just in thinking about business models with the guy who started this company, Viori. Do you know? Oh, that it's sounds like familiar. an athleisure brand. Okay. But he kind of pioneered it as, as that kind of wear for men mm-hmm. when the industry was dominated by clothing for women. Mm-hmm. For like yoga, mm-hmm. so he was like, "There's nothing for 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 dudes," and so it's just like tracing the story of how he got how he got there. <clears throat> and I'm like, I don't, I've never heard of this company or this guy, but here he is having this like relatable experience talking through all these business startup things, and he had like three or four failed tries before the one that took off, and even the circumstances around the one taking off, it's like half luck, half. Mm-hmm you know grit and uh i'm i have nothing to do with clothing industry no interest in it but you see behind the scenes a little bit and it's just always interesting to to do and that's true with sports figures too i think Mm -hmm. i mean who doesn't know that yeah beckham is such a household name you know sure that'd be interesting for anyone i think because i've been doing more staging projects i've been wearing a lot more athleisure clothes because (laughs) i have to be like transitional yeah so that's exactly I, I like half of my wardrobe now is like you know leggings or like you know trans transitional type pieces yeah. that i can like wear like i could go on an appointment and then i could either like quickly change or add a blazer to make it look professional and then like change into like a sweatshirt to be more comfortable for moving large pieces of furniture Check out Viori. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's the one you want to go with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Or do I mean? Yeah. Sounds, sounds fine. Cool. Um, speaking of business models, I would love to. So, there is a lot to a business model. Here's the why I wanted to talk about it. I think that business models are taken for granted. Okay. Every business has one. Whether it was architected, <laughs> what's the what's the right tense of that word? The what? <laughs> the ar- ar- right tense of the word architected. Um, Whether it was built, built <laughs> or jinx. Whether it was like a matter of I'm going to construct this business mm-hmm. with this model in a way that it's going to be totally foolproof, or account for all the earthquakes and storms that can come its way. Or whether it was just you just did what you knew how to do and and cobbled some stones together and made this thing you know have the appearance of a business that actually is has a crumbling foundation right mm-hmm. no matter what you got a model <clears throat> the question is does it work so I am in the midst of thinking about all of that and. That is why I thought it could be interesting to talk about it. And because I'm in basically the restaurant industry, I have a particular kind of model. You're in real estate and you have the other arm of your business being staging. So there's 
models baked in. There's mm-hmm. there's a model to the business that you're creating with staging, and then there's kind of a built-in model, or at least there was until today. Yeah, <laughs> there was a built-in model uh, of how real estate works, and I think a lot of that is mysterious to people, not just real estate, but business models. It's 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 a word you hear, but take for granted that you know what it means. So that's where I'm kind of coming from with it. I think if people understand what goes into a business model, then they can begin to think about, well, do I have one that is going to work? Do mm-hmm. I have one that's sustainable? And is there something I need to adjust about what I currently have? Sometimes you have one that works, but it could be better. Whatever. You know, the more you know about something, the more you can tweak it and right. and or fix it. So that's my take um, and you're talking specifically about storied coffee. Well, that's my lens. Yes. But I think... Just providing yeah, so clarity. So when I, when I get into... I'd like to walk through. So I found a really helpful resource on YouTube. That was a nine-minute video, nine-plus video. The on, one you sent me? Yep. The one we crash course right before this. Mm-hmm. But I, I watched it several times and wrote down the, the nine components, according to this, this particular author, um, I'll tell you the title of the video for <clears throat> credit's sake in mm-hmm. a sec, but um, I found that really helpful. And when you think of those kind of things, then you can ask yourself, okay, how you when you have that framework, then you can ask yourself, okay, how how does my business relate? How does my model compare to these things? Because you can have there are many different business models. Um, and another thing to emphasize too, this was emphasized in several of the resources I found is there's a difference between business model and business strategy. But I think that those things are conflated at times. Someone might present a business strategy thinking it's a model when really that's, that's not, that's not the what of your business. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's, it's one component of your model. Actually strategy fits into the business model. It's uh, in terms of differentiation. Yes. So. I know you had a comment on that on our texts. Um, yeah, so business, just to repeat what you just said, a business strategy can be a part of your business model. That's right. Okay. I think it, yeah, I think it ends up being uh, fitting in kind of in the middle here. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, I. okay, any thoughts No. to lead with from you or should I lead us in kind keep, of keep going. thinking about it? Okay. <clears throat> So I'm I'm going to borrow heavily from basically that last resource we had. Uh, so let me pull up the title just so y'all can see what the heck I'm, where I'm coming You're from. You're referring to the video. That video that we crash coursed. Yeah. It's called The Business Model Canvas, Nine Steps to Creating, uh, presumably a business model. <laughs> I can't see the full title from the screen. Okay. But the business model canvas from the business channel. This thing has 2.3 million views, okay? It's it's pretty solid. Like I said, it's 9 minutes, 40, 41 seconds long, and I watched it several times. It's like one of those ones where someone's giving a lecture almost or just like giving a talk, but the, there's there's drawing. Illustrations. This illustration yeah. with each point. So it's actually... Very this, engaging. This is the perfect... If you're trying to say, what's a business model? This is the perfect video. You heard it here first. Yeah, Go it's, check a, it out. it's very engaging. Super engaging. Um, <clears throat> okay, so I'm more or less going to just borrow those nine points and talk through them because I don't think it could be more succinct. Okay. Or more 
yeah, more or more clear, clear what we need in terms of a business model. So business model canvas from the business channel. Um, do you want to list the nine, the nine pieces and then go over them one by one? Sure. That's a good idea. Uh, I did put it in my own words a little bit, so I'll, I'll just give a little blurb on each one. All right. Okay. One by one. So number one is the value proposition. Mm -hmm. That is basically what problem are you solving? Okay. Number two is going to be your market. Who is going to buy your products? Who are the people? What are their demographics? Number three are the channels through which your products will get to customers. Yep. Number four, customer relationships. And that's going to be how you get, how you keep, how you grow your customers. And, uh, and the relationship, the financial, more than financial, but baseline financial relationship between you and your customers. Number five are the revenue streams. And that's how is money getting into your business as a result of your customer relationships. Number six are going to be assets or well, he, he says key resources, which I translate and, he's, and he uses the word assets. And so that's going to be, what are the things you need? Do you need, you know, financially, what are the things you need physically? If you need a store like me, mm -hmm. do you have online sales channels? Um, inventory sorry, not channels. Do you have it. online? Uh, yeah. Inventory that you're going to sell online, things mm -hmm. like that. Do you need in inventory, physical products, like manufacturing, do you need manufacturing? Do you need uh, supply chain kind of things? There's all kinds of stuff that can be in the assets, mm -hmm. lines of credit, uh, things like that. So key resources, number seven, partners and suppliers. So that's going to be just different relationships you have to opt to, to, for your business to fulfill orders and creates mm -hmm. products and that might be you know suppliers it's going to be places that you get stuff components you need to manufacture or the manufacturers themselves um, i think that might also factor into like excuse me maybe business partners just partner relationships mm -hmm. which could come and go and then you have uh, number eight key activities which what are the things your business needs to do to fulfill its mission fulfill um, product creation and get people what you're doing. So lots of different things can fit in that category. It's number eight. Number nine is at the end of all that, what is the cost? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what is the cost to operate your business? And of course, that's going to be your overhead. That's going to be fixed costs, things that don't change you pay a monthly your bills it's also going to yeah. be variable costs things that come and go it's going to be hidden costs uh what are the things you got to be aware of that are going to come out of your business to make it work payroll is huge mm -hmm. um so those are the nine components value proposition market channels customer relationships revenue streams key resources Partners and suppliers, key activities, and cost. Which, when I heard all those things, I was like, that is a, a handy <laughs> reference <laughs> to know. Now, how do you translate those things into a business model? That's kind of a question. It's not, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not taken for, 
granted that that if you have just having these questions in front of you doesn't mean you have a business, right? You have to answer these questions in a way that's going to structure something so that at the end of the day, you are generating value for your business as a result of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing about a business. Or throw model. back to our last episode, you're being the here you're being the what the leader of the the guide the guide yes how are you going to position yourself right so we can we can take these things and translate them into that language yeah how are you setting yourself up what is the value how are you going to guide your customer your the hero out there in the world what is the problem the hero's got that you're solving that's that's that first uh first component so that's i mean no, with this on the table, it's like how how does this translate to real estate? How does this translate to your business? How does this translate to your staging business? I can begin to answer it with story, but I've already been talking for most of this, uh, yeah. <laughs> this episode. So, <laughs> you know, where do we? I, I can keep going, but but do you want to jump in here? Does this start to yeah make sense, I, or does this raise questions? I'm going to be you? real honest. I haven't really come up with a business model for Welcome Home Co. My cool. staging. We're gonna do it right now, dude. I it start. We might not actually do it right now. We can start. As I've spoken about in past episodes, it's something that kind of grew organically as Uh I was starting to take things from my own house and put them in my client's house. And all of a sudden, one day, we were having a party, and Brandon said, "Where did our chairs go? (laughs) Where's our lamp? Where's our coffee table? Stop taking our furniture and putting it in your client's houses." That's kind of how my business started. Right. (laughs) And I was like, hmm, maybe I should make some separation here and start buying things separate from my own personal belongings. Okay. (laughs) I love this. This is about to be an episode of how I built this with Guy Raz, except I'm Guy Raz. Yes. (laughs) Bring it. Just just kidding. But... (laughs) Here's the coolest part about this, right? This all can sound kind of non-sexy. The whole business yeah. model thing is like, that's uh, not super cool. That's but then, why I like, avoid it. Yeah, sure, sure. Doing the work of of figuring these things out and putting them on paper is is kind of lame. Or maybe it's exciting. I don't know. It's probably exciting. To, I think to I someone. find it to be boring. But in probably in a lot of ways, you've subconsciously done this stuff. And either way, what I mean to just draw out here is like you've already got the beginning of a story. <laughs> that that wraps all this stuff up in uh, stuff up in it, and I think that is, I think that's fun. At the end of the day, we all have a business, and there's a story behind it. And you hear those little things that are like, yeah, I kind of came by this, you know, accidentally, or yeah, <laughs> and now I'm running this business. So right, um, so that's what's romantic about it is like you you take it from from like cold, calculated business plan language and turn it into, well, I'm doing this because I have a passion for it. And yeah. I'm doing it because it, it came out of nowhere organically just because of what I was doing or who I am. And so I think if we can hold those two things in balance, we'll be probably better off. Tap into the the passion and what makes you want to have a business that sustains itself and sustains you. But knowing like, all right, as long as I'm still in touch with that, that reason why I'm doing it, yeah. it'll make doing this work a little easier. I don't know. That's a, that's a hot take for you. Yeah. So what's the question? The question is, 
when you started to take furniture out of your living room and Brandon went to sit down and he <laughs> fell on his butt and said, why is this room so dark <laughs> that I couldn't even see that my chair was missing? Just kidding. It's <laughs> a great story you're painting. I love thanks, it. Thanks, thanks. Um, what problem were you solving? How did we get to that point? Uh, that's a great question. You took those things for a reason. Yes. Okay. And the reason for, for that was um, I was selling an empty house. And the empty house was listed previously as for sale by owner. And it didn't sell. And long story short, they reached out to me and said, we'd like to list the house. And I said, all right, I'd love to help you. I'm happy to help you sell your house. I'd also like to offer staging because I think being that this house is vacant, empty, staging would help make this go a long way. And I didn't have all the like furniture for a full house. And I was just sort of like piecemealing things together here and there and was like, well, these chairs are cool and we can live without them for a couple months and I'll just take <laughs> them and put them in this house. And that's how that started. Right. So you've told that story before, yes. right? We talked about yes. how we got into the mm -hmm. things and who we are. That was like one of our first episodes. Mm -hmm. so I think you told that story. Um, but how did you get into what made you think, let me stage this thing? You hadn't staged before that? Oh, I had. Yeah. For I have, a house? I, I have been, I will. You're telling the story of how that that, that particular day when the yeah, furniture but, was missing. That's but, how Okay. So you're asking like a deeper question. A little bit. About, yeah. This like, is like the, the, um, the problem of the problem that you're solving. Mm hmm. So I, you, I, that was a specific example of a time when was, you were solving a particular problem. But overall, what is, because this gets into your target market too, right? This gets into yeah. number two is like, who are the people that have the problem? What is the problem they have? Who are they? I've never really thought about it in terms of like, what is the problem? But I think with, with my, with being a, a real estate agent, who has a background in design services, like retail design services, they they seem to just go hand in hand. And sure. um I it it was something that was organic for me. It wasn't something that I set out to be doing um strategically. It was just something that I saw a need for early on in my real estate career when I started to list houses, it was just a gift that I couldn't ignore. So when I was listing a house and I wanted to make a room look more appealing, I would rearrange it or get, you know, get the owner's permission to rearrange it. And then I'd be like, do you mind if I put a cover over your sofa and, and change out the pillows. And do you mind if I change out your curtains to be more neutral? 
do you mind if I bring in a quilt and put it over your bed to make it look like, you know, more modern? <laughs> and that it just like kind of became one of those, like if you give a mouse a cookie <laughs> and like if you let Maggie stage one room, she's going to want to stage everything. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> that's how it happened. Okay. And it was sort of innocent. Like, oh, do you mind if I just like move this over here? And while I'm at it, like, why don't I bring some pillows and a coffee table and um, we'll just we'll just have it this way. Okay. That's <laughs> and people awesome. just listen to me. Yeah. And once because at first it it's uncomfortable at first because some people sometimes people ask me like, how do you get people? How do you tell them these things to get them to make these changes? And I think it's it's a it's a gift, and I'm. You either ha not you either have it or you don't, but you have to be very sensitive and empathetic to somebody when you are in their home and you are like quote unquote criticizing the way that they have lived or the way that they've arranged their furniture. And you have to almost frame it to them in a very polite, very sensitive way listen, the way we live is much different than the way we sell. And that's a good, that's a, that's a drop right there, dude. <laughs> that's what they call a bar. <laughs> yeah, a bar. Um, so, and that's sort of what my job is. Like the reason you're talking to me today is because you need to sell your house. And my job is to get you the most money and the way that I can do that in addition to, you know, putting your house on the multiple listing service and doing showings and doing an open house is I got to get people through the front door. And I quickly realized early on in my real estate career that people shop for houses on their, like, through photos on their phone. And if you can't even get people through the front door, you're not doing anything. You're not doing your job, in my opinion. So I thought to myself, okay, how can I get bodies through the front door? And the way that I thought that was through staging. And that's sort of how it is. And that and, that and, and being able to empathetically sensitively say to someone like the way you live is very lovely thank you for allowing me to tour your home um buyers in this market live and shop differently than the way we are living in our homes like would you allow me to help you emphasize like the best parts of your home by helping you stage it and at first, these conversations were really awkward and stuttery and like, you know, not really knowing how to say. But now I just go in there and I say, you know, this is what we have to do to sell a home. It's very matter of fact to me now, but in a still in a sensitive way. Yeah. Because it, it's not personal. I mean, I, I and I had to get over that part of it. Like they I'm there for a reason. They they they're hiring me for a reason. And it's the seller house. And if I don't do my job, I, sh I don't I have to worry about doing my job and not worry about 
offending them because I don't like their curtains. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to offend their sense of style. Mm-hmm. But you are tactfully mm-hmm. trying to say, I can help. Yes. And here's how. Yes. That's amazing. So it all came out very organically, almost because you were in real estate. Yes. Here's what I was hearing. Because you're in real estate, that's that's the given. But you saw opportunities related to who you are and your previous work experience. Yes. And your your talents. Yes. And it kind of was complimentary at first, mm-hmm. right? Like complimentary, like it complimented what you were doing, but also complimentary, like it was free of charge. Yes. I'm just going to add this yes. value yes. to your real estate selling experience. Yes, that's that's how it started. Yeah. So all of my like early on adopter clients, you know, free staging for life. <laughs> nice. Kidding. Yeah, right. I, um, <laughs> you know who you are. Yeah, you know who you are. If you, if you don't know, don't ask. <laughs> and, you know, that also allowed me to experiment and like they knew that they were getting, they knew what they were getting and yeah. I knew what I was offering. And now it's reached a point where I have furniture in five houses right now. Right. And I have an empty trailer because all my furniture is dispersed. And people are, you know, there's still a demand. Yeah. So I know that there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's perfect. And that's there's so many ways probably that we come about what is the problem we feel uniquely positioned to solve. Yes. On behalf of someone else, right? So that's a great example of one way that that's happened for one person. And maybe there's something relatable in that. I'm not even going to get into... I'm not even going to start to talk about myself and and how I can relate to that. Why not? Because we don't have time. No, I want to (laughs) know. How long has been going? People want to know, Rich. All right. Look, here's, here's the thing. I am fully engaged in this conversation and in this process. I actually love where this is going. Okay. And... We are not going to have time today, okay. obviously, to get through nine of these. Sure. We have barely gotten through one. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's a lot to, I think there's a lot of fun conversation we had over this. And I think there's a lot of cool stories and ultimately a lot of probably value in our experiences of having come to this point in our businesses. So what I'd like to propose is that we continue to talk about this kind of stuff. Sure. We'll keep going for now. Mm-hmm. We got we got some time left on the clock. But I think this can kind of be maybe the start of I don't know if it's a series yeah. or what. Like, but I think this could be the start of a process of talking through how, kind of how we've built our businesses, which sure. is, you know, when we envisioned this podcast, I would say a little bit of what I had in mind of like, let's talk about how what we're doing, how we got here with the, the backstories. And I think over time we've touched on those, but this is a cool like framework for talking from kind of like start to finish. Sure. On both sides of our table. Yeah. <laughs> uh about about those things. So that's All a right. thought. I don't know if there's anything more I'm pressing. On board. Um cool. Cool, cool, cool. So we'll just we'll just keep rolling with that. And yeah. uh, people can come along for the ride, I'd say. Word. Um Okay, well, 
Yeah, for me, as I was thinking about that, because you just gave a picture of one way that we can come to how we're going to solve this problem. I think for me, it was like, what's the problem we can solve? Well, I was living in Albany for six years with my wife, and we were going between Albany and Troy. There were cool coffee shops, a handful, like literally three, two or three or four coffee shops that we would have said, these are the ones we go to and these are the ones we recommend and basically we don't go anywhere else. And um, spoiler alert, there was none of that going on in Schenectady where I was still driving through Schenectady to Scotia because my parents lived there. And to me, it was like, all right, this is this is our environment. These are our kinds of people. This is the kind of stuff we like. We, we like this better as coffee. So I was like, one problem, there's not good coffee options in Schenectady or like cool places to, comfortable places to hang out and have that experience. And then two, the problem I was having even in the cool coffee shops was that there wasn't a great sense of connection. There was no, there was very little back and forth, give or take, over the bar to this, to the degree that I would go to the same place for three years and no one would ask, like, know my name. Yeah. You know, I don't yeah. have to have we a conversation every time with a barista who's like an introvert who doesn't, you know, is not, they hear that and they're like, oh, gosh, I don't, that's not why I'm in coffee, you know. I get that. There's a, there's a range of, of things, but like, come on, dude, act like you've seen me before, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And so to me, it was like, all right, we need better coffee going on. But overall, we need a better service, a more friendly, engaging, like connected human experience around that coffee. Uh, and then to, and then just to add to all that, we also knew there was no bubble tea. Okay, there was very little like boba culture in Schenectady. Mm-hmm. You might have had one or two places where you could have gotten a bubble tea, but it wasn't like the it wasn't tapped into the culture of of boba that we were becoming aware of through like farther afield the companies that that we knew like boba guys and um and uh just, yeah. and kung fu and just like plenty of other boba companies we were aware of because we were being, paying attention to the broader coffee and, and beverage culture so yeah, it was a series. It was just a series of events that led up to like, could we open a business? Could we open a coffee shop? I don't know. Could we do this thing? And like, where could it work? And we were looking all in the areas where we knew there was there was more room for that kind of thing. And I didn't feel like we were so new to coffee too. We were learning on the fly, and didn't feel like we could compete necessarily in Albany or Troy. Not that we needed to do it there, but we just we saw more opportunity. Yeah, like back home because I grew up in Scotia, and I was like, well, maybe there's actually a space in Scotia and it just kind of fell into place. But the problem was that we were solving was we, I need, I need a place to go for coffee and I need it to be more engaging. So shoot, I'll just do it. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> um, and that's, that's kind of how we got started was how can we, what can we bring? How can we do this a little differently? How can we take like specialty coffee, quote unquote, and all these like Italianish words and make them familiar, relatable, without making people feel stupid or alienated and uh and how can we make it to the best of its mm-hmm. like possible taste profile. accessible would that be a word yeah yeah i don't know if i used that word but i meant to mm-hmm. or that would definitely fit in we would say that too um yeah yeah so that's what we wanted to to bring in that was kind of the problem we saw ourselves solving like scotia hadn't had a scotia itself tiny town but it hadn't had a coffee shop since 2014 
and this was 28, 2017 when we were thinking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. 2018 by the time it all got started. 2019 by the time the shop opened. So there just was there was room for that. But even in Schenectady, mm-hmm. you know, the closest comparison, there was only one coffee shop on J Street. Graham's hadn't even opened yet. They opened yeah. later on that year. So that's, yeah, that's kind of how we... That's how we identified that problem. I think it was just organically, like looking into our own experiences. It sounds like, doesn't sound like you had a staging experience where you saw a need as much as it was opportunistic in what you related to what you were doing. So that's that. Now, when it came to market, when it came to like identifying our target market, I would say that's an area where we, we didn't per se do the the work they recommend you do of like all right who who is your ideal person what do they look like mm-hmm. what do they smell like you mm-hmm. know <laughs> i don't know if it gets that dramatic but literally i mean maybe you've been through some of these exercises i've seen them out there yeah, where I it's like seen. what are they what's their nine to five you know it's yeah. like every little detail they they want you to try to pinpoint that's your archetype you know yeah and i won't say we did that per se we kind of envisioned it being quote unquote people like us like around I don't know that mid 20s to mid 30s range but everyone's invited you know we ultimately we thought less about the type of people and more about what is this you know who who's in town how can we relate to the people in this town who don't care about coffee don't care about the like what goes into it per se they just want it to to be comfortable and good you know so i i started to think less about the the specifics and how to market ourselves with the specifics and more about like the the feeling or the the culture that i was trying to communicate to people and i just envisioned that that could appeal to anyone a friendly comfortable environment where there's good good familiar products right who doesn't that appeal to, you know? So I, I didn't know how to um, quite identify down to like the target audience. And I don't even know if I could, after five years, do a better job of identifying that. But I think if you, if you kind of look back, you can, you can find, identify some patterns. So I'm not an expert at target market or demographics and audience, things like that. I will definitely say that needs... Daniel's development <laughs> at this right. current juncture of my of my business planning or re-planning, but that's that. I mean, who? Cool. I don't know. How do you speak to your sense of audience for Welcome Home Co? Sh- sure, yeah. You're, see, you're in this interesting place where you got real estate, mm-hmm. which is like I I don't know how people target themselves in real estate because everyone has the if you're selling a house, you have the problem of I need to sell this house. Right. Affordably. <laughs> but also but profitably. I think as a real estate agent, you have to differentiate yourself from other real estate agents. Cause I'm not gonna be everybody's cup of tea. You know what I mean? Not everyone's gonna wanna work with some not everyone's gonna need staging. Not everyone's gonna want to work with someone my age or someone, you know, in my um, area. Yeah. So now you've sold houses for people. You've worked with people who didn't, who you knew didn't need staging. 
Yep. And you didn't market yourself to people on the grounds of, oh, I'm going to sell your house because I'm like, it's like, correct. That was a, that's just always like an add on. Yes. Maybe someone hires you specifically for yes. that at this point. Um, okay. So, yeah. I mean, you're right. Now, when it comes to, yeah, so I don't know. I guess target market, targeting an audience. You you did work on that as you were developing your brand with mm-hmm. Welcome Home Co. Yes. Have you had you thought of that, or have you done that in just your real estate business, which predates Welcome Home Co. by a bit? Um, I think when I have to think back. So I got my real estate license in 2015, and when I first got my license, I was working with a lot of buyers because a lot of pe- I was working with a lot of people my age and I got plugged into some local community groups and I was involved like in what? like Rotary, Rotary, Rotary International in Glenville. And I was also going to church regularly and um some one other thing that I like not that I was using church as like a way to like promote my business right. at all it just there's a lot of built-in it was, yeah there was just network. a lot of built-in networks of people who I I knew in in like there's a lot of business people in the church that I kind of knew outside of the church sure. so that's sort of how that happened and um and yeah, early on, I just sort of built my business that way by becoming the person people trusted yeah. to sell their house because real estate agents tend to have like an icky reputation. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I was told. And that's kind of what I've experienced early on in the in the business, unfortunately. And I just wanted to stay true to my values and work with integrity and I was also blogging regularly and I was like using social media in a way that agents weren't using social media at the time. Like I was doing live videos at open houses and live videos of um, things at the houses. I was I was publishing content on Facebook and Instagram pretty regularly when people in my um, market, in my like um, local industry, weren't really doing that. They were still using traditional methods of marketing. So that's what helped set me and my business apart early on. And then after a couple of years, I started to see how staging could play a role and and like I just thought to myself like as much as I love house hunting with people and like going to all these houses I I enjoy staging more and I wanted to I knew the real estate industry was going to be shifting and like I just wanted to be able to prepare myself for the shift in the real estate market and not be like blindsided and not really know what to do. Cause I think I've said this in another podcast, like I, I never wanted my income or my 
business to solely depend on a person closing their house, closing on this house, like being desperate enough to be like, this house better close or I'm not going to get paid or whatever. And I, I, so I don't know what that has to do anything. I just, the thought just sort of jumped into my mind, but like, and I'm, I saw, I wanted my business to be greater than just like the transaction. Yeah. That's what, that's what my point is. Got it. So 2015, you get your license. Yes. When was that first staging job? My first staging job? Or like the first time, oh, a year. Just give me the year oh. of like, how, how, how long, how soon like, after was it when you said, I'm going to add the staging component to this particular. Uh, let's say 2017. 17. Because my first year of business, I sold one house. <laughs> In 2015? Yes. And... When you said, you just said that you had, you had a sense of like that the real estate market in the future, the real estate was shifting. Mm -hmm. Was that, when did that start to form for you? It was when I went to the Gary V conference in 2018 called Agent 2021. Wait, wasn't it 2018, 19, 20? Yeah, 18. Maybe it was in 2017. I've double checked my photos, but. It was when I first went to that conference. So Gary Vee was dropping some insights about yeah. how things were going to be shifting in the next yep. three years. Well, it was Gary Vee and Tom Ferry, Ryan Serhant, and a bunch of other like real estate like influencers um, in panel discussions. And I, I, Chelsea Pites was another one. Huge shout out to her. I follow her and her because she's a former real estate agent and now she does a ton of marketing stuff um and I just was like I I want to I don't want to be the last one on board this train I want to think about ways of developing my business now so that I'm not treading water you know several years from now and so he was given some warnings or like things to consider about how to yeah the 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 sentiment back then was like consumers are smart and you know Zillow is smart you know Zillow even though Zillow is a great tool a lot of times it can it can be the enemy to an agent because you like agents will pay Zillow for advertising only in like certain zip codes and um, I don't really know where I'm going with that train of thought, but basically like my thought, pro the, the sentiment back then was like, there's going to be a day when people are not going to go to a real estate agent first. They're going to go to Zillow first or, or other um, platforms first and, cut out the real estate agent if they don't see that agent's value. So wow. I was like, okay, well, I have to be able to show my value to people if they're going to want to work with me. And the way that I felt that I could show my value is through staging. And that's how, that's why I started to pursue that so aggressively. Yeah. So talk about a business model. <clears throat> the MLS, 
multiple listing service. Yes. That's where houses are listed. Yes. What does Zillow do? It accesses that database? Correct. It's syn- the MLS gets syndicated to the websites. You, like Zillow. Like Zillow and, and Realtor.com okay. and Redfin. But Zillow, you can also list your house. If you're the owner of a house, you could also list your house yourself you on Zillow. You can list your own house on Zillow. Okay, that's what I was yes. wondering. Yeah, so wow. Talk about talk about a disruptive yeah. business model. Um, <laughs> wow, okay. So <laughs> yeah, with that looming... That must have, with that coming on the scene, and, and that, that must have just changed the game from the start. Started to change the game. Yeah. Is that, I don't feels know. Like it makes things if, really accessible and like, yeah. Because Zillow has the their trends. own business model. Yeah. And Which I'm not going to get into, but yeah, no. But I think that, like, I don't know. I don't know where to go with the conversation from here, but the, the Zillow model, it I think as like some if you don't have like here's the thing, like if you want to sell your house, don't use and you don't want to use an agent, you have that right. Yeah. It's it's a good, it's your own, it's like like for sale by like owner. Like a for sale by owner. It's been you have forever. that right. Yeah. Like I have nothing against that if if that's what somebody wants to do. The main reason why people do a for sale by owners because they don't want to pay commission or they think they can do a better job than a real estate agent. Sure. And I'm not going to, I don't want to get into like the nitty gritty details of that, but I think that's like the basic reason. Yeah. I'm why sure that's do that. right on. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, selling a house is its own business model. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and there's, so you're talking about the partnerships you might need. You can either do, a, mm-hmm. you can do it on your own or you can involve a realtor, yeah. you know, and it's, it's these microtransactions, mm-hmm. any microtransaction in your life can boil down to, um, a model of, mm-hmm. pro- of profiting. That's really what it all boils down to is like, yeah. what is the model for profit here? And if there's more profit if there's less middlemen. So mm-hmm. I see where that's coming from. Yeah. Zillow really, Changing the game out here. Um, that's okay. We're not talking about Zillow, but just, Gary V brought that up among mm-hmm. other things to consider for that future, and that got you thinking. Yeah, it just about got me thinking like, how can I do? Di- how can I differ- your value? How can I differentiate myself from other agents? And there's enough business to go around. I don't see myself as quote unquote competition or like competing with other agents because I f- strongly believe that there's enough business to go around and you attract the right people who you want to do business with. And I'm not everybody's type of agent and not everybody is my type of client. And I'm okay with that. Sure. Makes sense. So, um, so that's cool. That's, I think that, that begins to answer the, well, we, we touched, that was point number two, we were still talking in and that, and that's thinking about our market. Who is our, who is our people that we're mm-hmm. trying to get to and, and and you 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 touched on that a couple of different uh, couple of different ways. That's an area where there's probably ongoing development for every company. Every right. business model is mm-hmm. like needs to think about because you're always trying to ask who who are the people that I'm solving a problem for, and all kinds of different people have the same problem. So it's always going to be a question of how do I 
relate to more of those people. <laughs> can I can I like interject a funny story? Sure. Um, so I, this kid who I have now asked me a question, and he was like, "Do you work more or less having your own business? Do you work more <laughs> hours or less hours than somebody who goes to a normal job?" Right. And I was like, "What do you think?" And they were like, um, Dude, "What a great question on your part." <laughs> And I was like, I work more. Yeah. I work more hours. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah. Why? Well, I, I have my day-to-day business that I, that I run, but sometimes I work into the evenings, as you know, and sometimes I work on Saturday and Sunday, m- long hours of the day. And people who have a a regular job that they go to, they don't necessarily have to work on Saturday and Sunday because they don't have to go to a job, but I do. But that's a choice I make because I really love what I do. And it's not a complaint, but to answer your question, I do work more. Having my own business means I work more hours than somebody who just goes to a regular job day in and day out. And that's the choice that they make, and that's the choice that I make. Totally. What a great thing for a for a young person to hear, mm-hmm. <laughs> and probably um, probably not so young people to mm-hmm. hear who are who are considering something that they mm-hmm. might want to get into. It's like you, you kind of have to realistically be prepared for this to be all consuming, yes. or at least several years of your life mm-hmm. unless you're going to build something unless you're going to craft a model that's going to start to sustain itself where some of the components are not reliant you know you sub out yourself for you sub in other people for yourself in, right. a, in a model that that is built to to operate that way but if you don't craft that thing it ain't going to work Mm-mm. that's why i'm stuck right now uh and you know real estate Largely, is an independent. It's kind of like a what do you call it? independent um, contractor type of thing. Yes. You know, you're you're kind of out here on your own. So that is what you make it. Yes. But it is it has to be what you need it to be at the same time. Mm-hmm. So diversifying that can create other ways f- to do that, but it also creates more work. <laughs> My it, there's also something to be said for the for like the the season you're in, the yeah. phase you're in, the startup yeah. phase is what we're talking about. Yeah. I think we're both still in the startup phase. We've commented on that before. Versus like. You know, okay, this thing's built out, long haul, the systems are in place. Now we're just tweaking the systems mm-hmm. or just like maintenance. Mm-hmm. Ma- you get to a maintenance phase if you do it right. We're, all, we're still very much in startup mm-hmm. phase. There's this um, famous real estate coach named Brian Buffini, who's, if you're in real estate, you would know his name. He does a lot of like trainings and stuff. And his basic concept is as real estate agents, every day you wake up unemployed. <laughs> oh, gosh. And that was sort of ingrained in me early on when I first started that like every day you wake up unemployed, you have to go out there and generate your business. Yeah. And when I've developed that mindset and part of being unemployed, quote unquote, as a real estate agent is you have to generate business by prospecting and doing, having all these like quote unquote pillars of your business. And I identified certain pillars of my business early on and and I stuck true to those pillars 
And as a result, my business grew. And so my, my three pillars were like social media, advertising, marketing, the networking groups that I belong to. I'm in two networking groups that I attend faithfully and give and receive referrals from those groups. And one of them is the community organization, Rotary. And what was the third leg of my pillar? I can't remember. Um, Cause I think social media and my blog were one of them. They're kind of, I kind of like tied them into the same, but maybe, maybe my blog was a third leg because I was very active on my blog. Right. And um, yeah, that's cool. That's how it happened. Yeah, that um, obviously that's right in line with talking about the, the importance of a structure. Yes, to your to your business model. Well, we have got through. We've, I think we've tied in a couple other points into this conversation, like things you've touched on. I would have identified as like um, maybe. Let me go back to these points, like customer relationships, revenue streams. Uh, some of what we've been talking about here, there's a lot mm -hmm. of crossover. And I think that's maybe something to, to highlight too as we wrap this up is like these aren't, I guess, I'm, yeah, I don't know how much we can, every analogy breaks down. So I'm not sure how much you can talk about like, uh, all right, well, you got the foundation and then you got, mm -hmm. you know, you got your bricks and your mortar and your like framework, you know, and I, I don't know how much all that stuff can be tied to any one point here. The, um, all of these things work together in a cohesive system. When you, but lining them out gives you a helpful way to think about them, and that's why I liked having a like a list of of things here. But they a lot of them tie together, so that can be easy, that can be probably why it's easy to conflate certain concepts because of how similar or just where the, the lines a little blurry. Uh, in different things like talking about your target market gets you talking about your customer relationships and things like that, you know, yeah. just to give an example. Um, or partners and suppliers, you know, your assets, your key resources, you're talking financial, well, that might come down to a business partner. Like it's, they're, they're linked. So there's different ways that that's going to happen as we kind of work through these, these thoughts. Um, so I think rather than try to get into like, in other words, in one sense, point number three, channels. We've already touched on some channels of how y you make sales. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we could we could get into that category and talk more specifically about it. So I would say maybe we table that for next time. Sure. And and keep rocking because I, 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 this, is, this is fun to explore with you. And I think at the end of this, we will have done exactly what I wanted to do, which mm -hmm. was understand business models more yep uh understand how each of us has a business model how we are relating to that business model different ways we see it underdeveloped see it more developed and i think it's just going to take a few more conversations than i originally thought because there's so much to it i think yeah that, that makes sense and we still have to answer the question does rich have a business model that works we'll know we'll know <laughs> at the end of all this perhaps i can't wait Perhaps, perhaps not. I don't know. No, we'll know. It'll be yes or no, right? I think we'll touch on. 
Well, okay. It, there is an answer. There is an answer mm -hmm. to that question. There's a yes or no. Do I have a model that long enough term works or not? I think we can answer that question. Okay. But as I suggested last time, what I have currently, <laughs> this is where the gray area is, yeah. right? What I have currently is a structure that's sort of supported from outside. Yeah. Where like maybe the foundation is crumbling, but there's like reinforced, right. you know, steel and timber outside that's like holding up the walls. So, and that's, you know, you think about, I don't know, you think about the way you build something, you got to hold it up while you, you rip stuff out. So it's like, okay, can you, is there enough time in your equation, in your circumstance, and it's really just circumstantial, is there enough time allowed for me to correct the things that are problematic in my model? That's kind of, the that can be the make or break point for a lot of businesses. It's like, do I have time to identify the issue and get it solved before it runs, before like the tracks run out here, mm -hmm. you know? And I think in my case, we've had a flawed model that we've circumstantially been given time to identify and and like keep it up, keep it together. And we're just, we're just waiting out some of the things that are problematic slash building more of that infrastructure as we go and given enough time we'll have re we'll have reconstructed this thing to where if we can hold on mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of a big if because um, there's the dynamics of life that happen at the same time you know family kids mm -hmm. anything can happen labor mm -hmm. <laughs> shortages and all kinds of issues right it's like and mental stress and pressure it's like if we can hang on this thing could work out with a sustainable long-term thing, but where I'm literally in the middle of, of that. It's, it's very much an mm -hmm. open question. You have a lot of people rooting for you. Yeah. Yeah. So not just me. <laughs> Thank you. Not just me. I know. I'm, I totally, I'm speaking totally. for a larger audience. Well, I appreciate that. Glad you're tapped in with our larger <laughs> audience. <laughs> Give them my best. Would you? <laughs> I will. <laughs> All right. Well, they're um, listening right now. I love them. So that's why I don't have a clear answer, right? In one sense, sure. yes, we do know based on black and white stuff, mm -hmm. data. It's like, okay, this would not work long term. But circumstantially, and this is the crazy thing of a small business and entrepreneurship is like circumstantially, there's enough of that luck and just stuff that worked out that it's like, it could happen. It could happen. Yeah. Against all odds. Against all odds. Well, that's the way I come at this conversation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, been a joy, been a pleasure. Um, we're gonna pick it back up next time, and uh, great. Thanks for hanging in. Yeah, send us feedback, audience, housecoffeepodcast at gmail.com or slip into our DMs. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, bye bye. Later.